Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to PGM Prophetic Grace Network. Today is Thursday, May 11th of 2023. This is Secrets Revealed, Understand the Book of Revelation from Start to Finish. And I am your Book of Revelation research scientist. Today we're talking about the 144,000 first fruits prophecy. You can call in to share your question or perspective about the book of Revelation using our PGN text number, which is 1-214-505-8719. I just said the text number. You can text us, not call, but you can text us using that text number, 1-214-505-8719. But you can call using our PGN phone number, which is one three one nine five two seven. 6027 that's 1-319-527-6027 this program secrets revealed understand the book of revelation from start to finish in the month of may of 2023 we are on live every thursday at 10 a.m eastern time that's 9 a.m texas time and every sunday at 12 p.m texas time which is 1 p.m Eastern Time. So I invite you to listen from the Internet Archive at a time that is good for you or to listen live at blogtalkradio.com backslash live prophetic. You can listen live via Internet at blogtalkradio.com backslash live prophetic. You can also listen live using our PGN phone number which one more time, it's one three one nine five two seven six zero two seven. Today, we are talking about the 144,000 first fruits prophecy in the book of Revelation. It is the fifth of 12 statements of prophecy in the book of Revelation. It's the first five verses of chapter 14. 144,000, that number appears twice in the book of Revelation. First, in the seven seals prophecy, and then again in the 144,000 first fruits prophecy. So let's hear own prophecy, verses 1 to 5 of chapter 14. Reading from the New Living Translation, it says, Then I saw the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion. And with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God 
and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. No one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. They have kept themselves as pure as virgins, following the Lamb wherever he goes. They have been purchased from among the people on the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. They have told no lies. They are without blame. That is the 144,000 first fruits prophecy in its entirety. Let's go verse by verse. What is the word of God revealing to us in the book of Revelation? The culminating work of the Bible? Verse 1 of chapter 14 says, Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. So where are we? John the Revelator is shown a vision, and in this vision he sees a reality, a future reality. And that reality is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, standing where? On Mount Zion. And what about Jesus and where he is standing? So he's standing in Israel at a specific location on Mount Zion, but he's not alone. It says, and with him were 144,000. Now we're going to go back to the seven seals prophecy to find out who exactly the 144,000 includes. But in this prophecy, the focus is not on their identity, but on the reality of what happens to them. So who they are has already been discussed and reported in the seven seals prophecy. And we're going to go back there, but let's focus on this prophecy for the moment. What about these 144,000? So it says that they have his name, whose name is that? The name of the lamb and his father's name. So Jesus Christ is the lamb and his father is God the father right now. Both the lamb of God and God the father are in a specific location. That location is present heaven. God the Father sits on the throne, and Jesus Christ also sits on the throne to the right of God the Father. Each of the 144,000, we're told in verse 1, have the name of the Lamb and his Father's name written on their foreheads. Now, this is very important. This is the mark of God. The mark of the beast is a counterfeit. It will go during the period of the Great Tribulation, it will go on the foreheads of all who are Team Satan. It will go on the forehead or on the right hand. It's a counterfeit mark. It's a mark that allows the person to receive the identity of the beast. The beast and the false prophet are agents of Satan. 
So when an individual takes the mark of the beast on his forehead or on her forehead, on his hand or on her hand, that individual has been claimed as a member of the family of Satan. When an individual has the mark on the forehead, the mark of God, what is that? It's the name of the lamb and his father's name. And it's a third thing, too. Let's find out about the mark of God described in Revelation 14.1. If we go to Revelation 13, we find out that all who are victorious, ultimately, all who are victorious will have the mark of God. And in Revelation 22, verse 4, we learn that that mark will go on the forehead. But let's hear in Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, that secret is revealed in a discussion about the rewards of those who are victorious, those who become members of the royal race, those who are a part of the forever family of Jesus Christ. It says, And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. So in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we have seven letters to seven churches. And in these letters, Jesus Christ shares words of praise for individuals who participate in these churches, words of correction. And he shares words of encouragement. Specifically, he communicates some of the rewards of those who are victorious, those who become a part of the forever family of Jesus Christ, those who will rule and reign on this present earth for the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ and on the new earth to come. And one of the rewards of being victorious, in other words, of being a part of the wheat rather than the tares, being among the good fish rather than the bad fish, being among the sheep rather than being among the goats, having one's name written in the Lamb's Book of Life rather than having one's name not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So in each of those four instances, describing the two groups ultimately that human beings are divided into. In other words, human beings ultimately will receive the mark of God on their foreheads, which will designate them as victorious and identify them as individuals who have eternal life. 
or individuals will be in the group who have eternal damnation. Those who have eternal life will live in a peak performance body on the new earth for the eternities of eternities. Those who have eternal damnation will live in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and brimstone for the eternities of eternities. Now, what are the rewards of being victorious? It says, again, in verse 12 of chapter 3, all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. So in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, when it says, Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. This reveals that these are individuals who are victorious. The 144,000 are among the sheep, not the goats. Their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're not blotted out or omitted or excluded from the Lamb's Book of Life. They are among the wheat and not the tares. They are among the good fish who will be kept, not among the bad fish who will be thrown out. Let's continue with verse 2. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. So there's a sound that accompanies the song that the 144,000 will sing in the future. And this song has a sound that's beautiful. It sounds like a roar. Like many harpists playing. Like mighty ocean waves. Like loud thunder. So it's a powerful sound. Now we're told in verse 3 that the 144,000 one of their activities is to sing in a choir. They themselves as a group become a choir. Now, is that the only thing that they are? It doesn't tell us that. For example, perhaps you are an accountant or a stay-at-home husband or a stay-at-home wife. Perhaps you are a school teacher or a doctor or a dentist or a pastor. So whatever your role is, it doesn't mean that you are limited to a singular role, right? So you may be an accountant and a member of the choir. Here we're told that the 144,000, one of the things that they will do is that they will participate in a choir, and this choir will sing, quote, a wonderful new song. So the 144,000 who are victorious, they will sing a wonderful new song. And where will they sing it? 
they will sing it in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. These are the same group. By group, what do I mean? The four living beings and the 24 elders. These are individuals who were there when John was caught up to present heaven. Now we're talking about a different point in time, but still there are the four living beings and the 24 elders. And we're told that the choir is now standing in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and 24 elders. Now, what are they doing? They're singing a song. And this wonderful new song is a special song. It's a song that only they sing. And we're told in verse 3, no one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Now, what does it mean to be redeemed? Let's get a definition of redeemed. To be redeemed means having been saved or delivered from sin or its consequences. So what's the consequence of sin? Death. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. But these individuals are victorious. They have been redeemed. They have transitioned from mortality to immortality. They have been included in the harvest. The harvest of what? Earth's crop. Human beings who transition from mortality to immortality. Human beings who become a part of God's forever family. And it says, continuing in the 144,000 first fruits prophecy, we're going verse by verse. Ultimately, what are key activities of the 144,000? We're told that in the future, in verse 4, it says, They have kept themselves as pure as virgins, following the Lamb wherever he goes. So what are they doing? They're following Jesus Christ. And then continuing, it says, They have been purchased from among the people on the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. So they have been purchased. How were they purchased? When Jesus Christ died on the cross. His blood, blood which had no sin, could therefore be used as payment for the sin debt of those who have sinned. Who are they? All have sinned and fallen short, all except Jesus Christ. So that blood can be used for the sin debt of any person. Now, not every person has followed God's plan for salvation. Not every person is redeemed. You say, well, that is horrible. Agreed. 
That is horrible, but that's the reality. God's will is for every person to be saved, but not every person chooses to find God's will. Some people who find it choose not to follow it. But these 144,000, they are among the sheep, among the good fish. Their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They have been redeemed from among the people on the earth. It says, as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. They have told no lies. They are without blame. So we find out their activities. They follow Jesus Christ wherever he goes, ultimately. But before they follow Jesus Christ everywhere he goes, who are they? Let's go back to the seven seals prophecy. So we've heard about their future when they're standing with Jesus Christ on Mount Zion singing that song. Now, Jesus Christ stands on Mount Zion in Israel when he returns at his second coming. Now, let's hear more about the 144,000. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 4, we hear about those who are redeemed from the earth. In verses 4 to 8, we hear about the 144,000 who are redeemed. And in verses 9 and 10, we hear about the others beyond the 144,000. Let's first hear about the 144,000. Then we'll hear about the others. It says, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 4, And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. From Judah, 12,000. From Reuben, 12,000. From Gad, 12,000. From Asher, 12,000. From Naphtali, 12,000. From Manasseh, 12,000, from Simeon, 12,000, from Levi, 12,000, from Issachar, 12,000, from Zebulon, 12,000, from Joseph, 12,000, from Benjamin, 12,000. So those are the 144,000. They are individuals who are biological Jews, and these individuals are from the tribes of Israel, and there are precisely 12,000 from each tribe. And beyond these 144,000 who are, we're told in Revelation chapter 14, we're told, they have been purchased from among the people on the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. They are a special offering, but they aren't the only people who have been purchased. Let's hear about the others who have been purchased. In verse 9 it says, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. 
What does this mean? So in front of the throne will not only be the 144,000, there will also be a vast crowd. We say, well, how many are included in the vast crowd? It says, quote, too great to count. Now, I don't know about you. You probably can count. Uh, you can count probably very well, and uh, your counting ability may be greater than mine. I believe that I could count at a minimum up to 10 million. I think I could do that. Uh, maybe you can count up to 10 billion or 10 trillion. It says too great to count. So too great is certainly more than a thousand, more than 144,000, more than a million or even 10 million. And these individuals standing where? In front of the throne and before the Lamb. So standing in front of the throne and before Jesus Christ, like the 144,000, they are victorious. But they are from many places. You say, well, how many places are many places? It says, Every nation and tribe and people and language. So every nation means every nation. Not some nations, not many nations, not 18% of nations or 89% of nations, but 100%. Every nation means every nation. All nations. So there are those who are from all nations, who are included in the Lamb's Book of Life, who ultimately are victorious, who become members of the royal race, who transition from mortality to immortality. And it says they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. So part of unlocking the secret of the 144,000 is not only looking in the 144,000 first fruits prophecy in Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 to 5, but also looking in the seven seals prophecy in Revelation chapters 5, verse 1, to chapter 8, verse 1. Now, what about verse 1 of chapter 14, where it says they had the name of the Lamb, and the name of the Father on their foreheads. When do the 144,000 get this name? When do they receive this seal, this mark of God? In Revelation chapter 6, let's go there. This particular group, of several groups that are included in the harvest. This is the only group where we see in the book of Revelation when they actually get the mark of God, the seal of God on their foreheads. Now let's go to Revelation chapter 6. We're still in the seven seals prophecy. In Revelation chapter 6, that secret is revealed. 
It says in Revelation chapter 6, I'm looking for the verse. Let me make sure I have it. No, I don't have that right. It's in Revelation chapter 7. Let's hear it. In the seven seals prophecy, which begins with verse 1 of chapter 5 and ends with verse 1 of chapter 8, the secret of when this part of the harvest, the 144,000, when they get the mark of God, not the mark of the beast, all who are victorious get the mark of God. The mark of the beast is for those who are not victorious. During the great tribulation, those who are not victorious get the mark of the beast. But those who are victorious in Israel at the time of the return of Jesus Christ, before the battle of Armageddon, so that they will not be harmed, they must be marked. Now here it is. Revelation 7, verse 1 says, Then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds, so they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even on any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east, carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels, who had been given power to harm land and sea. Wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servant. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. Now, why did the 144,000 need to receive the seal? Why did they need to be marked with the seal of God, the mark of God, the seal of God? Why did it need to go on their foreheads at that exact moment? Because harm is coming to the land and the sea. We say, well, why is harm coming to the earth? Why would God harm or allow harm to come to the land and sea? After the marriage of the Lamb is the marriage supper. The battle of Armageddon brings harm to all of the armies of the nations of the world who have traversed the path of the Euphrates River, which will be dried up supernaturally. That's the sixth of seven final plagues revealed in Revelation chapters 15 and 16. And also, in the purple and scarlet prophecy, harm is coming to the location that houses the headquarters of the Harlot Church. All of those mountains are going to be leveled. Harm is coming to the earth to take out the enemies of God who have allowed themselves to be deceived by Satan, who have allowed themselves to be used to come against the people of God. 
those who are in Israel who are worshiping in the rebuilt third temple and those who are in the church. Now, those who participate in the marriage of the Lamb transition from mortality to immortality prior to the battle of Armageddon. But then there are those, the third part of the harvest, who are standing in Israel, awaiting their Messiah, as described in Zechariah. Now, this was prophesied in Romans chapter 11. It said, it says in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved. What is this mystery? It's saying after the full number of Gentiles has come to Christ, the marriage of the Lamb will happen, the first resurrection. And after the first resurrection happens, after we have joined Jesus Christ in the clouds, we are with him forever. And the first action that happens after the marriage of the Lamb is the marriage supper. It's in that same timing, and there will be no more delay. Jesus Christ will return with the armies of heaven, and all Israel will be saved. All who made it to that point, they will receive the mark of God. They will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from death they are the third and final part of the harvest they're a special offering they are the final part of earth's crop now you might say i haven't heard this before it's in the bible in zechariah let's go there together to hear about what happens to this third part of the harvest Described in Zechariah. In Zechariah, it says, chapter 14, verse 1. Watch, for the day of the Lord is coming, when your possessions will be plundered right in front of you. I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. Let's pause right there. When are all the nations, not some of the nations, but all the nations gathered together to fight against Jerusalem? When all the nations have joined their armies together, as described in Revelation 19, led under the leadership of the Antichrist and the false prophet, and they come to the specific location which has been foreordained by Jesus Christ as the location where the war waged in righteousness will be fought, the war to end all wars. What war is this? It's the battle of Armageddon. It says, I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. 
The city will be taken. What city? Jerusalem. The houses looted and the women raped. Half the population will be taken into captivity, and the rest will be left among the ruins of the city. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations. Now, when has Jesus Christ fought against those nations? Hasn't happened yet, but it is going to happen. How do we know? It's in the book of Revelation, in the marriage supper prophecy. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 21. It's in Revelation. Chapter 19. And here we are in Zechariah 14. With a description, the prophet was given a description. He was shown how all Israel would be saved as described in Romans chapter 11. Hundreds of years before, Zechariah was shown the reality of the battle of Armageddon. It says in verse 3 of chapter 14, Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations. As he has fought in times past on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split apart making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move toward the north and half toward the south. You will flee through this valley. Who's you? Israel. The 144,000. You will flee through this valley, for it will reach across to Azal. Yes, you will flee as you did from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all his holy ones with him. Let's pause there. Who are all his holy ones? All who have participated in the marriage of the Lamb. Let's hear that again. Then the Lord my God will come. He's not coming before the armies of the Antichrist reach Jerusalem, he's coming when? After the armies of the Antichrist have already reached Jerusalem, the city has been taken, the houses have been looted, and the women raped. Half the population has already been taken. Verses 1 to 2 of chapter 14. So this is when the people of Jerusalem, the Jews who have been worshiping in the rebuilt temple, which has been seized by the Antichrist. He's defiled it with his presence. He's committed the abomination of desolation. He stood in the temple of God and declared that he is God. It's described in Second Thessalonians and in the book of Daniel. And the city has been taken, the houses looted. It looks like Israel is down for the count. It looks like the Antichrist will take over Jerusalem. It looks like the Antichrist has won. But we know from Zechariah and Revelation and Daniel that the Antichrist ultimately is doomed to fail. The Antichrist will go into the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur and brimstone forever and ever. He will be destroyed. The false prophet will be destroyed. Satan will be destroyed. But at this point, 
master, the holy ones have ascended to the clouds, transitioning from mortality to immortality. It's time for the battle of Armageddon. And it says, then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. On that day, the sources of light will no longer shine. Yet there will be continuous day. Only the Lord knows how this could happen. There will be no normal day and night. For at evening time, it will still be light. On that day, life-giving waters will flow out of out from Jerusalem, half toward the Dead Sea and half toward the Mediterranean, flowing continuously in both summer and winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. When is Jesus Christ going to be king over all the earth? When he fights and wins the battle of Armageddon. When the government of man... The governments of man are put down, and the government of God is established. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says, And of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. So when Jesus Christ fights and wins the battle of Armageddon, this is what happens. Verse 9 of chapter 14 in Zechariah, And the Lord will be king over all the earth, not over only Jerusalem or only Texas or only New Zealand or only Egypt, it says, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord. His name alone will be worshipped. Now, what else is going to happen on that day? Let's go to verse 12. And the Lord will send a plague on all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their people will become like walking corpses, their flesh rotting away. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. Now let's talk about that day. What day are we talking about? The day of the Battle of Armageddon. The day when Jesus Christ returns. And there's the marriage of the Lamb, followed by the marriage supper. It says, and the Lord will send a plague when, on that day, on all the nations that fought against Jerusalem, their people will become like walking corpses, their flesh rotting away, their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. Now, that sounds familiar. Do you know that the Bible confirms itself? What's described in one place in the Bible is often described elsewhere in the Bible, even though that report, that vision, that letter is written by another person often hundreds if not thousands of years apart. Why? Because all scripture is inspired by God. Now let's hear Revelation 16. Then I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. So the first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth, and horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. 
Now let's continue in Zechariah. What else happens on that day? It says, on that day they will be terrified, stricken by the Lord with great panic. They will fight their neighbors hand to hand. Judah too will be fighting at Jerusalem. The wealth of all the neighboring nations will be captured. Great quantities of gold and silver and fine clothing. This same plague will strike the horses, mules, camels, donkeys, and all the other animals in the enemy camps. What are the enemy camps? All of the nations, and many are described in Ezekiel, and uh, all of the nations that form the armies that come together under the leadership of the Antichrist, these are the enemies of God, and their countries, their home countries, are uh, countries that have sent their people to destroy the people of God. And so it says in verse 16, in the end, the enemies of Jerusalem who survived the plague. Now let's pause for a second. We learn in Revelation chapter 19, at the end, verse 21, that 100% of the armies led by the Antichrist, 100% of those individuals experienced the first death. The Antichrist and false prophet experienced the second death. In other words, they don't get to have uh, they don't get to have their case heard. Their fate is decided. They're destroyed. They go to the second death. We're told in Revelation 19 verse 21. But uh, in Revelation 19 verse 20. But in Revelation uh, 19 verse 21 we're told that 100 percent of those individuals who are in the armies of the antichrist that they are killed by the sword that comes from the mouth of jesus christ so they are killed in the battle of armageddon when they are killed what happens they are disembodied at that point right so they're flesh and blood given that they're in a mortal body the mortal body is destroyed, yet no person can ever uh, cease to exist. Ultimately, all who have existed as human beings either transition from mortality to immortality and will dwell on the new earth or transition uh, to eternal damnation. So either you transition to eternal life on the new earth or eternal damnation in the lake of fire. But uh, God is a just God. The people who die, they don't go immediately to the second death. Their case has to be heard. Their case has to be heard. No one can be sentenced without having a court proceeding. That would be barbaric. That would be unfair. That would be outrageous. God is not a God who is uh, unfair or barbaric or outrageous. God is a God of justice. And all who, all who have elected to not go to mediation, who have elected to reject Jesus Christ, who is the only mediator, well, they are held in a temporary location, a storage tank, Hades, 
So no one proceeds to hell. People proceed to a location, Hades. They don't proceed to the lake of fire when they die. They proceed to Hades, a place of darkness. They're held in prisons of darkness until when? Until the time revealed in Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15, until it's time for their case to be heard. Now, every person who dies in Christ proceeds to heaven, a temporary location, a storage tank. As Prophet Randy Chandler has pointed out, present heaven is a storage tank. Randy Alcorn, the prolific writer on heaven, refers to present heaven as a layover. Why? It's a location that... All who are written, all whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, it's a location that they go to until when the first resurrection, the marriage of the Lamb. Now, about where we are in Zechariah, 100% of the armies of the Antichrist are destroyed. They experience the first death, but... There are enemies of Jerusalem beyond those who participated in the army. So in other words, those countries that sent their armies are enemies of Jerusalem. And what's coming to those countries? A plague, as described in Zechariah 14. And in verse 16, it says, In the end, the enemies of Jerusalem who survived the plague will go up to Jerusalem each year to worship the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, and to celebrate the festival of shelters. Any nation in the world that refuses to come to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, will have no reign. If the people of Egypt refuse to attend the festival, the Lord will punish them with the same plague that he sends on the other nations who refuse to go. Egypt and the other nations will all be punished if they don't go to celebrate the festival of shelters. On that day, even the harness bells of the horses will be inscribed with these words, Holy to the Lord, and the cooking pots in the temple of the Lord will be as sacred as the basins used beside the altar. In fact, every cooking pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord of heaven's armies. Now let's pause there. What does it all mean? There will be a redeeming of earth's crop, and it will include three parts of the harvest. The first part of the harvest is described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, are those who will come from heaven, they're residing in present heaven right now, some are yet to go there, but will be going there. There's some people who are going to die in Christ before the second coming. When they die, where do they go? They go to a temporary storage tank, present heaven. It's a wonderful place, but it's a temporary location. It's not the final destination. The book of Revelation reveals in the culminating prophecy of the culminating book of the Bible, the New Earth Prophecy, chapter 21 to verse 5 of chapter 22, reveals that every person who is a part of the harvest ultimately 
will have the mark of God on his or her forehead and will live in a tangible body on a tangible earth, not in heaven as a disembodied spirit, but three in one. Adam and Eve, before they sinned, were three in one. Where? On this present earth. All who have found and followed God's plan for salvation, all who have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, will be three in one. Three in one where and when? Three in one on this present earth, beginning at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ and continuing beyond the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ. Because after the first thousand years, we transition from this present earth to the new earth. So the new earth is going to be like it was before the fall. It's described in Revelation chapter 21. Let's go there for a moment. Revelation chapter 21. On the new earth, it says, and this is where you go. If you're having a day where you feel down, when you look at the evil in the world, when you look at the wars, when you look at the sin, go to Revelation 21. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Here it is, friend. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. So when is death gone forever? When is sorrow gone forever? When is crying gone forever? When is pain gone forever? It's not gone forever during the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ, you say, well, how do you know that? Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 10, the millennial reign prophecy. Satan is unleashed for a short time, and he deceives millions of people. You say, well, how can he deceive millions of people? There are some people who were survived the plague, as we just heard in Zechariah 14. These are mortals who will have uh, descendants who are mortals. These are individuals who did not participate in the first resurrection. They did not transition from mortality to immortality. And some of them, or their descendants, or both, will participate in the final rebellion. And so what does that mean? Even after Jesus Christ returns, there's an interim period. It's called the millennial reign, a transition period. And there will be death, and there will be sorrow, and there will be crying, and there will be pain. Now, there won't be death for those who uh, participated in the first resurrection. But for those mortals who survived the plague, 
that was sent, there will be death. Now, when is there no more death? We know from Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, the dead judge prophecy, that death is thrown into the lake of fire. When is that? After the great white throne judgment. So here's the order of the five enemies of God being destroyed. You say, well, why do I need to know about the five enemies of God being destroyed? We don't get to no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death until after all five of God's enemies are destroyed. Who are they? Number one, and this is just in the order of their destruction as described uh, in the book of Revelation. Number one, the Antichrist and the false prophet. Those are the first to be destroyed. What's God's strategy for destroying his enemies? It's the second death. It's eternal damnation. It's permanent separation from God. It's dwelling in a lake, which is a lake of fire that burns with sulfur and brimstone. For how long? Forever and ever. It's a permanent separation. It's eternal damnation. So what's eternal? Forever and ever. The eternities of eternities. So Revelation 19, verse 20, reveals that the Antichrist and the false prophet, they are the first to be destroyed. That happens at the Battle of Armageddon. And then in Revelation, in the Millennial Reign Prophecy, I believe it's Revelation Verse 9, let me confirm that. So the millennial reign prophecy is verses 1 to 10 of chapter 20. And we're told, it's verse 10 of chapter 20. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, why was he joining the beast and the false prophet? So the beast and the false prophet go to the lake of fire. So who's the beast, the Antichrist? They go to the lake of fire at the Battle of Armageddon. And their armies all experience the first death, and they go to a prison of darkness, Hades. But a thousand years later, after Satan's release, For a short while, he deceives people, then he's destroyed. He goes to the lake of fire, and he joins them there. So those are the first three enemies of God. Then Revelation, in the same chapter, verses 14 and 15, reveal when the fourth and fifth enemies of God are destroyed. Now, again, God's strategy for destroying his enemies is the lake of fire. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26 says, And the last enemy he destroys will be death. Well, when does that happen? It happens right before we transition to the new earth. Here it is. Verse 14 of chapter 20. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. So death experiences death. Now, what does that mean? Nothing that has ever been created can ever be 
destroyed. Now, the scientists, the physicists have reported that, that it's not possible to destroy matter. It, it transitions to another form. It might be a form that's not detectable by the naked eye. For example, when a mortal body has decomposed, those cells, if it was a thousand years ago, ten thousand years ago, a hundred thousand years ago, we're not able to gather them together and uh, form them into a new body or even put them into a jar necessarily. Yet they exist. That matter exists. And God promises that all who died in Christ, their bodies will be reconstituted. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, and now we're not talking about science fiction, we're talking about science fact. Matter cannot be destroyed, and an omnipotent and all-powerful and an omniscient, all-knowing God has the ability and he has the will and he has promised that he's going to take the mortal body of every believer, every good fish, every lamb, every sheep, I said lamb, the lamb, is doing this for every sheep, every good fish, all who are among the wheat. He's taking that mortal body. doesn't matter how decomposed it is. It doesn't matter that the human naked eye can't see it. doesn't matter if those cells are in the water of the sea or the ocean. It doesn't matter if the, if the grave marker can't be found anymore. God knows exactly where every cell is, every molecule, and he has the power to put that body back together. It's going to be better than it's ever been. You haven't had your best day yet. If you are a believer, you haven't had your best day yet. You haven't had your peak performance moment. You have not reached your peak. You say, well, I don't think that's true. I think peak is age 30. No, it isn't. Because even the most fit 30-year-old, let's take, for example, a Serena Williams, uh, 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 Mike Tyson, uh, uh, Conor McGregor, uh, who, whoever, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger at 30, whoever you say, this is the person, the most fit person that's ever existed. Uh, Einstein, when he was 30, uh, Mother Teresa, when she was 30, peak performance uh, in terms of mental activity, peak performance in terms of physical activity hasn't happened yet for any person who is in Christ why this mortal body has DNA errors they reflect the curse they reflect the curse the sins of the father are visited upon the sons and daughters up until the third and fourth generation notice how defects tend to run in families when you go to the doctor they want to get your family history why it's in the blood. It's in the DNA. But the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus saves and it purifies. And we're on our way, every believer, to a peak performance body. 
So these 144,000 that we've been talking about today, they are a part of the harvest. And indeed, in Romans chapter 11, and as described in Zechariah, all Israel will be saved. Friend, if you are here during the Great Tribulation, and you're in Israel at this time, what time am I talking about? In Zechariah 14, it says, the day of the Lord is coming. I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken. If you are here after the 1,260 days where the Antichrist has ruled and reigned over this earth through the Ten Nation Alliance, if you are in Jerusalem, and you see the armies of the Antichrist coming to invade your city, and you see them taking it over, and the houses are looted, and the women have been raped, and half the population is taken into captivity. Don't lose hope. You say, well, what are you talking about? Don't lose hope because Jesus Christ, your Messiah, promises that he is coming. He is coming, and what is he going to do? It says, then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations. He doesn't come out to fight against the armies of the Antichrist during the 42 months, which is the Great Tribulation, which is the wrath of Satan. He comes after during the period that's the wrath of God. The wrath of God culminates with the Battle of Armageddon, which is included in the seventh final plague. It's not the only part of the seven uh It's not the only thing that happens when the seventh vial is poured out, but the seven final plagues described in Revelation 15 and 16 culminate with the battle of Armageddon. If you are in Jerusalem and you believe in your Messiah and you refuse to leave that land because you believe that that land has been promised to Abraham and his descendants because you are a biological Jew and you have been worshiping your God here oh Israel the Lord thy God is one your God is coming he's given himself a human body and that human body allows him to come as Jesus Christ and he's coming on a white horse and he's coming with a weapon a mighty sword and that sword is going to be used to destroy a hundred percent not 50 percent not 40 percent not 98 percent a hundred percent of the enemies of israel it says then the lord will go out to fight against those nations on that day the sources of light will no longer shine Now, what happens to the 144,000 on that day? It's described in the seven seals prophecy, Revelation chapter 7. Right before the battle of Armageddon is fought, it says, And I saw another angel coming up from the east carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea, Wait! 
Don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. When that seal of God goes on your forehead because you're a part of all Israel that's going to be saved. When that seal of God goes on your forehead, you cannot be destroyed. You will transition from mortality to immortality. You are now at that point, among the good fish, among the sheep, among the wheat. Again, it says, and he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea. Wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until, why? The battle of Armageddon is going to result in some land being harmed. The sea being harmed, some trees being harmed. Until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. And indeed, just as it says in Romans chapter 11, some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved. Now, you might be curious. You might be curious about, well, when all Israel is saved... What's, what's it like for uh, the 144,000? What's it going to be like uh, when there's the, the realization that Jesus Christ was and is the Messiah? What's that going to be like? Well, it's described in Zechariah chapter 12. It says, this message concerning the fate of Israel came from the Lord. This message is from the Lord who stretched out the heavens, laid the foundations of the earth, and formed the human spirit. I will make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink that makes the nearby nations stagger when they send their armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judah. On that day, what day are we talking about? The Battle of Armageddon. I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather against it to try to move it, but they will only hurt themselves. They say, what about their hurt? It's described in many places. Here in Zechariah and in Revelation chapter 19, it's described. And in Revelation at the end of chapter 14, it's described. Let's continue here. On that day, says the Lord, I will cause every horse to panic and every rider to lose his nerve. I will watch over the people of Judah, but I will blind all the horses of their enemies. And the clans of Judah will say to themselves, the people of Jerusalem have found strength in the Lord of heaven's armies, their God. Now, who is the Lord of heaven's armies? It's Jesus Christ, who comes riding on a white horse, followed by Heaven's armies, Jesus Christ. This in Zechariah chapter 12 is a description of all Israel who is saved at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ, immediately following the marriage of the Lamb. 
It says, on that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a flame that sets a wood pile ablaze, or like a burning torch among sheaves of grain. They will burn up all the neighboring nations right and left, while the people living in Jerusalem remain secure. The Lord will give victory to the rest of Judah first, before Jerusalem, so that the people of Jerusalem in the royal line of David will not have greater honor than the rest of Judah. On that day, the Lord will defend the people of Jerusalem, the weakest among them will be as mighty as King David. Now, remember how they, how mighty David was. David took out Goliath. So if the weakest is strong enough to take out Goliath, uh, that's pretty amazing. It says, and the royal descendants will be like God, like the angel of the Lord who goes before them. How will they be like God? How will they be like God? They will transition from mortality to immortality. Jesus Christ transitioned from uh, mortality to immortality when he rose from the dead. And he promised that all who believe in him will also transition from mortality to immortality and live in an immortal body. A body that will never, ever die. A body that will never, ever be racked by cancer, Alzheimer's, a bad back, a brain that will never suffer from mental torment. You know, there are over 200 psychological disorders in that DSM. Frankly, while it might be interesting and to some extent useful to put all these uh diagnostic categories and labels together what's more useful is to get free of all that to transition from uh, a mortal body to an immortal body for on that day i will begin to destroy all the nations that come against jerusalem now here it is friend when you are among the 144,000 so if you are in jerusalem and you get that mark of god on your forehead when he comes and he puts his feet down in Israel and that earthquake happens and it happens because the battle of Armageddon is about to be fought and won. Now this is what's going to happen when they realize that Jesus Christ, their Messiah, they realize who he is, what he is. And this is where in Israel. It says, then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. So this is what's going to happen to the 144,000. It says, then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as for an only son. Now think about that. They will look on me. Who's me? Jesus Christ whom they have pierced, when did they pierce him? Over 2,000 years ago, and mourn for him. Who's him? They're mourning for the death of Jesus Christ. They're mourning for the Lamb of God. They're mourning because of the crucifixion. They will grieve bitterly for him as a firstborn son who has died. And you might say, well, I don't get it. Why are they grieving? If, if Jesus has come to save them and he has saved them, why are they grieving? They're grieving because their hearts are no longer hardened. Now, let's go back to Romans chapter 11. It says, I want you to understand this mystery. Talking to who? 
believers in Jesus Christ. So this is uh, those individuals who are a part of the first, the first and second part of the harvest. The 144,000 are the third part. It says, I want you to understand this mystery, talking to us about the 144,000. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ, and so all Israel will be saved. So when they realize, hey, Jesus Christ is the final and ultimate sacrifice, when, when, they, when they realize that the old covenant really is outdated and that there's a new covenant, they get saved. How many? All Israel. Well, how many is all Israel at, at the time of the Battle of Armageddon? 144,000. So when their hearts are no longer hardened, what happens? They will look on me, whom they have pierced, and mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died, the sorrow and mourning in Jerusalem on that day will be like the great mourning for Hadad Ryman in the valley of Megiddo. And then there's a little bit more discussion about that mourning. So, friend, the 144,000, God has unlocked that secret for me and for you. I hope that this has been an interesting time of analysis and discussion. I invite you to be with me. And with us again, when we discuss the secret of the 144,000, it's coming up every Sunday at 12 p.m. Central Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, and every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, that's 9 a.m. Central Time. I am Dr. Nicole, your Book of Revelation research scientist. Thank you for being with me and with us today. If you haven't done so already, I urge you, I urge you, call out to God. According to Jeremiah 33.3, he promises to show you great and mighty secrets that you do not know.